Ahoy, Buck fans! Are ye looking for a different kind of podcast that centers on the yellow-bellied opponents? Well, you've come to the right place. Get ready for an enjoyable, in-depth look back at the important moments, historical facts, and games for the Buccaneers against this week's opposition. It's the No Quarter Given podcast on the BuckPower.com podcast network. Now, let's get started with your co-hosts, Jason Powers and Peter Blake. All right, Buccaneer fans, it's another winning week on the No Quarter Given podcast. Tampa Bay Buccaneers move to 10 and oh, 10 and 3, excuse me, not 10 and 0, oh, 10 and 3. Nice. It's about 10 and 0, oh, wasn't it? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> With a dramatic win in Raymond James Stadium Sunday night over the Buffalo Bills, 33-27. It was an overtime game. When you and I were at Ducky Sunday, Peter, welcome in Peter Blake, co-host. Yes. 27-10 going to the fourth quarter. We were feeling pretty good. We never thought we'd be looking at overtime at 33-27. No, you never thought you would be looking at overtime. And I know there's a lot of fans out there complaining that the Bucs don't play a complete game. But, you know, at the end of the day, the Buffalo Bills, they were desperate, Jason Powers. They needed a win. And they gave everything they had to get that win, especially Josh Allen playing through an injury. Over 100 yards of rushing from him and from the Buffalo Bills. And still, the Bucks they take that body shot and they just keep on punching away. Rashard Perryman, 58 yards to the house. And I love Gene Deckerhoff's call. Perryman, Perryman, Perryman. I think that's what a lot of fans were saying when he went uh, for that touchdown to end overtime. It was beautiful. No, absolutely. I mean, the Bucks come up with a, with a tremendous first half. They play really well, up 24-3 at the half. Um, you know, they didn't play bad in the second half. Give Buffalo credit. Buffalo really increased their level of play. The Bucs didn't turn the ball over. They just, they misfired on a couple third downs and got stopped and Buffalo give them credit. You know, you knew they were going to score some points during the game. We weren't going to hold them to three points. Josh Allen started running the ball. You and I talked about it in the pregame on your excellent pregame show that Josh Allen was going to be a major focal point in the running game. He was rushed over for a hundred yards. They started connecting on some passing plays in the second half. And again, the Bucs didn't play bad on offense in the second half. A little a little spotty, missed a couple throws, ended up putting a couple times and, and give Buffalo credit. They came back, and, and the Bucs had to have a goal line stand there at the end to keep them out of the end zone to force overtime. Buffalo had a third and two at the eight-yard line with about 30 seconds to go that if the Bucs give up the touchdown, we'd probably lose the game. Yeah, pretty much. And before that, Josh Allen looks like he's going to run into the end zone there on the sideline. And Levante David makes a touchdown saving push out of the bounds yep. for Allen, which hasn't been talked about. And that defense absolutely stiffens in the red zone, which is tremendous. And then uh, the opportunity in overtime when Buffalo gets the ball back, they get a three and out and gives back uh, the Bucks ball. And of course, they're in business at that point. But you're exactly right. The offense of the Bucks was a little bit inconsistent, a little bit ineffective, and that defense was on the field a little too long, yep. and they seemed like they were gassed uh, at the end of that fourth quarter. And we kind of talked about it. Like, we thought there would be some type of home field advantage for the Bucks, but it was actually home field advantage for the Buffalo Bills in that second half. They wore that Bucks defense out, and the offense didn't do them any favors. And, some, and, some interest, and there were some controversial officiating calls, no calls in that game late, 
You know, they had the we had the throw in the end zone with Diggs against Carlton Davis on that third and two we were talking about from the eight-yard line. It's a no call that turns into the field goal. A lot of Buffalo fans thought there was some contact. I thought it was a good job by the officiating with a no call. And again, I'm I try to be objective about the officiating. I'm an official, so I, I thought it was a good no call. You had the controversial interference call in overtime that gave the that got the Bucks out of the hole. They were on the they started that drive on their own six-yard line about a 25-yard pass interference against Mike Evans that gave the Bucs some field position that led to the Brashard Perriman, um, you know, long touchdown there at the end. So a couple officiating calls that could be debated. But, again, what a game. Great game in Raymond James. A lot of Buffalo Bill fans in the house. Bucks moved to 10-3, and three, one win away from the division title, which they can clinch this Sunday night on Sunday night football. And as we get into the New Orleans Saints – I want us, to, we're going to bring in two great guests of ours, TJ Reeves, Buccaneers Radio Network, and Paul Stewart, who's our boss here on the BuckPower.com podcast network. And we're going to bring them in. We're going to tell some stories about the Saints. We're going to do a preview. We're going to do, um, we're going to do a preview of the Sunday night game. And welcome, TJ Reeves, to the podcast, Paul Stewart. It's early morning in England. We very much appreciate you waking up early to, to, to be a part of the No Quarter Given podcast. TJ Reeves, obviously, sideline reporter, Buccaneer Radio Network, Three Dog Thursday podcast. Paul Stewart, BuckPower.com creator. For all things Buck history, go to BuckPower.com. Gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, uh, Jason. Yes, I can't decide whether it's really late or really early here. But, uh, yeah, it's great to be part of that. We've got the entire team together. We've got the gang back together again. Yes, TJ, yeah, before you go, the... it's it's 4, it's 4 a.m. England time as we're recording this <laughs> podcast. So full kudos to Paul for getting up early. Hopefully you got a cup of coffee or you watching the Today Show England style uh, and the Today Show maybe. <laughs> good morning, good morning, Britain or something that's going to be on. Yes. Uh, all, all I know is this man has spent his a better part of his entire adult life devoted to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so when you began, P, uh, Jason and Peter, to negotiate, when can we do this? I said to you, it will not matter what time it is. Paul Stewart will post. If we're talking Buccaneers, it can be three in the morning. It can be Christmas Eve. It can be whenever the man is ready. So uh, it is great to be on with you guys. It is great to, uh, to talk about the history of this team. And I'm looking forward so much to this. I mean, you have to also understand that Paul and I are in regular contact about everything because he is such a great resource and i don't know where we're appearing here on the show you've already talked about the buffalo game correct jason we, we and have and we're gonna we're gonna get your quick thoughts on the game here in just one second but continue okay so yes and when that ended with the crazy walk-off field goal or uh, touchdown i'm yeah. going that's the first time the buccaneers have ever won an overtime game with a touchdown and then I'm immediately in contact with Paul Stewart from <laughs> buckpower.com. And we're going over it together. When was, and then, and then it occurred to me, wait a minute, there was another touchdown in an overtime. And I was actually there for the game in Carolina, but scoop, we uh, confirm here on no quarter given, we were going back and forth 
together because your site is such a great resource and you're such a great resource. I'm going to you so I can sound good. Yeah, I mean, what's quite funny, TJ, is yes, this was the 18th time the Buccaneers have won a game in overtime, and it was only the second time it had finished on a touchdown. So the first was in Carolina in 2012. Dallas Clark caught a pass from Josh Freeman. We had Dallas on British TV coverage a few weeks ago. He's going to be a very, very good TV analyst for what I saw in that. But of course, it's not the first time that a Perriman has made it into the Buccaneer record books because Breshard Perriman's father, Brett Perriman, yes. played for 10 years in the NFL. Yes. He played for the Saints and the Lions. He holds the record for the longest receiving touchdown ever against the Buccaneers. <laughs> he had a 91-yard touchdown pass against Detroit in Sam Weiss's last game in 1995. So, yeah, we've now got a pair on the right side of the ledger in the record books as well. That's Peter, right. Peter Blake, I want to bring Peter Blake in. Peter Blake, the man is an encyclopedia. <laughs> there is some, I just learned something on No Quarter Given tonight that I didn't even know about Brett Perriman, the father of Brashad, but the guy's unreal, Peter. I mean, he really is unreal, and I tell you right now, Perriman was always a buccaneer killer when he played for the Lions. It was either Barry Sanders or Perriman or Herman Moore. It was always <laughs> those guys. And the crazy thing is, Paul, and Paul knows this all too well, who was the coach of that team? The former defensive coordinator, Wayne Fonts, right, That's Paul? right. Yes, That's it right. was. Or as they used to call him, he was Wayne Fonts during the day, but he was Wayne Fontes at night. <laughs> <laughs> John McKay's ex-defensive coordinator was known to go have an adult beverage uh, or two. But I'm just, I'm just conveying here yes. that the man, again, we prop him up as a resource, uh, to, to find out all this different stuff. And the Dallas Clark touchdown against Carolina uh, capped an amazing comeback where the Bucks scored in the final minute, had to get the two-point conversion, got the toss in overtime at Carolina against Cam Newton, drove right down the field, and Clark caught the ball right in front of me. I was on about the five-yard line on the far sideline across from the TV, and I'm like, happy post-game show now. Uh, it was looking bleak, but happy. And it was not unlike Sunday night where it was looking bleak late in the game yep. and suddenly Brady to Brashard Perriman, and there's history again on a touchdown at home. 46 years of the franchise, never a walk-off touchdown of any kind for the Buccaneers. They've given up walk-off touchdowns yes. in, in Raymond James Stadium or Tampa Stadium, but that was the first time at home a walk-off touchdown, amazing. All right, so real quick, for those of you Buck fans that are listening to this, if you want to see the video version of this, of all of us talking, you can see Paul in his chair in England. Go to Powers on Sports Podcast YouTube channel, and you'll, the video will be posted, this interview that you can find. So the Powers on Sports YouTube channel, one Paul Stewart from England, TJ from Lutz, Peter from Clearwater, and me from Tampa, <laughs> all on the Zoom together. Real quick, Paul, as a fan, give me your thoughts of the Buffalo game. 27-10 turns into 27-24, and we got to hold them on third and two from the eight-yard line on Sunday. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, for me, that was getting near one o'clock in the morning, and I'm thinking, guys, can we just win this game? I want to go to bed, um, especially then as the Saints game will start at 1 a.m. for me, but we'll get to that later. I think it was a case of... The Bucs had excelled themselves in the first half to get that far ahead. Yep. Buffalo are a very, very good team. And it was simply a case that, you know, we were going to come back to the norm. You know, we had to come back to reality in the second half. Yes, the play call is going to be more conservative. Buffalo played to their true ability in the second half. So the case of the, the first 60 minutes 
were an ideal scenario of the two best teams going right at it. So to be tied at 27 at the end of regulation was, to be honest, quite normal. You know, it's what you would expect from two very good teams. But yes, the Buccaneer defence stepped up to hold them to the field goal at the end of regulation. They stepped up to force a three and out in overtime. And yes, then a fantastic drive from Tom Brady that, that led to the winning score. They were two very good teams, and I expect Buffalo to go on a real run in the last few weeks of the season, and they will be a force to be reckoned with in the AFC playoff picture. And TJ, for you, you were there on the sidelines, tons of Buffalo Bill fans in the building. Just talk about how that fourth quarter kind of, we were on full tilt. It was full tilt going in the Buffalo direction. How nervous were you? Are they going to hold them on the last drive? And just the electricity of when Perriman breaks down the sideline, there's nobody left. Okay, so again, you got to contain me here because I could go on for 25 minutes on this, and I know we got to get to the Saints because that's what we're doing on No Quarter Given and some of the historical moments and stories about that. Uh, when that last drive for Buffalo was happening at the end of regulation, the fear and the concern is this is the Washington football team ending all over again. They're going to kill the clock. Yeah. They're going to score a touchdown. They're going to they're going to win the game. I know there's a lot of Buffalo fans that are belly aching about the officiating the Carlton Davis, Stefan Diggs play in the corner of the end zone with their hand fighting, et cetera. Davis got his head around to make a play on the ball. And to me, that is play on. That's both guys trying to make a play. I know Buffalo fan is upset about that. Uh, again, the Bills had their chances. The Bills had the ball first in overtime. Yes. And that was not the officials that stopped the Buffalo Bills. It was the Bucks defense that forced the punt. And they had them pinned in. And you can six. complain about the officials at the six-yard line. But the Bucks got out of the hole, got the first down on the, on the play to, to Leonard Fournette on third and short, got out of the hole. The Mike, the Mike Evans call, again, I keep saying this to people all week off the air, uh, even a couple of people that I know that are Buffalo Bills people, that is the elite receiver of the Bucks at home, defending Super Bowl champs. Peter, Jason, uh, Scoop, the, uh, he's going to get that call. Of course he's he going to, especially if the defender does not turn his head around, Mike right. Evans is going to get that pass interference call. And then to go to the play, to Brashad Perriman, Again, I'm down there with headphones on, with earbuds on. I it, when when he broke free, I kid you not, it was so loud. The roar was so loud. Peter probably heard it. Yep. Uh, in Clearwater. Yeah. Scoop may have heard it in England. It was so loud, I couldn't hear Gene Deckerhoff screaming in my ears. That's how loud it was. My ears were still ringing at 11 p.m. about three hours after the game. That's how loud it was at the end of that game. That's as loud as Raymond James Stadium has been in five years or maybe 10 years on that kind of play. And I know Paul's wanting to get in here. It was incredible. Yeah, just one thought for all the Buffalo fans. And to quote a film reference, here's the smallest violin in the world playing just for them. Yes, <laughs> my heart bleeds for you. And I know Peter wants to get in too on that, yeah, on mean, that final play. We were at Donkey's doing a post-game show uh, live in Tampa. And we got one TV that is caught up and the other TV is kind of slow so we're looking at the TV that's slow and then they go to the bonus action and everybody starts to cheer and then I realize look I have to not only write this down but I have to get on air right when this game ends I have no time so I'm <laughs> in the moment I'm cheering I'm high five with people and then they're like you got to get on and I'm like oh I got to get on so I had to get on I had to write this write that and it's just like unbelievable how your mind is so focused at that sure. but you can get lost in that moment 
when Perryman scores because everybody's excited about it. But you remember, you have to have a, you have to do a job. You that's know right. that's all too well, TJ. I mean, you're you're the sideline well, guy. And I'm and, and I'm standing there going, once again, happy post game show. Keep running, <laughs> Bashad Perryman, because we got a happy post game show. I just want to know on the No Quarter Given podcast. Paul Stewart, were you standing up in the living room in England at 1.30 in the morning or 1 in the morning or whatever that was and jumping up and down like everybody else was? Yes, were you, were you so I was, feet? because that's yes. what a Buccaneer fan does. And just to let you know, Peter, when I've done enough live television where I've covered Buccaneer games that have been big successes, and I've immediately had to think, OK, we're coming back to the studio in about 10 seconds' time. Calm the celebration let down. And let me celebrate put my tie back on. Right. Let me yeah. be professional. <laughs> let me calm down. Blot my face with the makeup. Let me calm down, and now let's be a pro. So, Powers, were you jumping up and down and doing, like, cartwheels as Perryman was, was oh, in the end zone? I was sitting at the bar at Duckies, and Peter probably heard me yell, there's nobody left as he's going down the <laughs> sidelines as as the Bucks. you know, obviously a big win. And as we're going to transition wow. to the Saints here, there's an opportunity yep. with that win Sunday that they can now win a division title, the NFC South. They got help on Monday night with the Rams beating Arizona. We're now the two seed, so we're right there with the Packers tied in the loss column, losing in tiebreakers, but tied in the loss column to get that one seed. And, you know, this is a huge game for the Bucs. You can, one, win the division. Again, an, a firm hold on the number two seed. And obviously you can pay some revenge from the Halloween nightmare that we had in New Orleans a few weeks back. Peter? Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, uh, this has been Tom Brady's kryptonite, and he's turned the ball over more. They've gotten after Brady. And, of course, the debacle last year on Sunday Night Football, 38-3, to but there's no Drew Brees. You have Taysom Hill. He's hurt. He only threw for 175 yards last week, but you still have to worry about his mobility because of the way the Bucs have defended that. And then on top of it, you have Alvin Kamara. And once again, the Saints are going to give the Bucs everything they want because they're a desperate team, just like Buffalo. And because the Bucs are Super Bowl champions, they're always going to get the best effort from every team. So it's going to be interesting on Sunday night. But look, that snake is in the grass. You've got to cut that head off of that snake. And at the end of the day, <laughs> if you don't do that, then that Saints team is going to roam. So you know, make no mistake about it. You need to take cut that snake's head off. And that is Sean Payton, Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, and the Saints on Sunday night. And Paul and TJ, I'm going to let you guys tell the story here. We've just passed the anniversary of the first ever Bucks victory as a franchise against the New Orleans Saints. The Saints lead the series 38-21. You know, the Bucs, TJ, I know you got a great story about the first ever Bucks win against the Saints. Go ahead. Yeah, well, Scoop had the video and was yes. putting it out on social media uh, from buckpower.com of the first ever win, which is December the what, Scoop, 1977? 11th. 11th. He knows He knows it right down to the day. December 11th <laughs> is the date of the first win. And one of the amazing things about that game, Paul, follow up on this, you had the clip of Mike Washington with basically the clinching interception, not a well-known defensive back. I mean, certainly you know the names, Leroy Selman, Doug Williams, James Wilder, Ricky Bell, you know those biggest names. But Mike Washington's pick six basically iced the game, but Scoop, that was one of, what, three interception returns for touchdowns in the same game. 
in the first ever win for the Buccaneers, right? Yeah, what was quite funny is that in the first 26 games, the Bucs never had an interception return for a touchdown. <laughs> then they had three Not in one. one half. Had yeah. three in the second half? They were yeah. all in the second half of Mike the game? Washington, Richard Batman Wood, and Greg Johnson all had pick sixes. Now, Mike Washington's very important to me because he had another interception a few years later against Miami. If he hadn't have made that interception... I wouldn't be a Bucks fan because that was the first game I ever watched on British TV. Mike Washington made the pick. And if, if Miami had won that game, I'd be doing DolphinPower.com. Thank you. I'm going to do BuckPower.com. And Mike loves that story. Was, he thinks it's fantastic. Your famous line was, I think this team in orange, I'm going to back them. They might be pretty good. And then the Bucks yeah, probably yeah. went right down the, the yeah, shoot. It's not the like curse of Doug Williams. It's the curse of Paul Stewart. The curse of, curse of Paul Stewart. But yeah, three pick sixes in the second half after not having one in basically two seasons. And then I will follow it up. So the next week would have been Sunday, December 18th, right? The win over the then St. Louis Cardinals is the first ever home win right. to end that season. And I still have two acquaintances of mine that tell the story 40 plus years later. I was not yet living in Tampa Bay. I don't think Peter was on the planet. Nope. I know Jason was a little guy. Yep. These two friends tell the story. One of them ran on the field, Scoop, and, and uh, Peter and Jason and audience. One of them ran on the field as the Buck fans tore the goalpost down <laughs> in the south end zone. And he was part of that. Nice. They ripped the goalpost into about three sections and they were taking it out the tunnel, out the side uh, after the first because they didn't know what to do. They hadn't won a game. And so that anniversary is coming later this week after the Bucks beat the Saints for the first win. They beat the St. Louis Cardinals for the second win and finished 2-12 and 12 that year in the 14-game schedule. This is why we love the history on No Quarter Given. Yeah, I mean, Gary Huff hit Morris Owens for a 66-yard touchdown pass in that game. Again, I'll have that play on Buck Power in a couple of days. But, yeah, I mean, I was 12 years old, living in the UK, didn't know anything about the NFL. I know all about it now. And folks, folks, let me just give you a little visual here. Paul Stewart is not looking at notes. He's not nope. looking at a computer screen. This nope. is just straight from the head about these names, who the quarterback was, the year. Watch He's this. He's not looking at notes. Watch, watch this. Watch this. I don't know the answer. Paul, where did Gary Huff go to college? Um, I think Huff... he went to a certain uh, certain state in Florida that's got Seminole as its uh, as Florida his State Seminole. See, I didn't even know the answer. I mean, the man is unbelievable is. With, uh, <laughs> with being able to know this stuff and where and where the Bucks uh, came from. And so, I mean, it began with the first ever win over the Saints, and we've got some other memories that we can go over. I mean, I can tell you one. Uh, right away, the first year that I'm on the sideline as part of Buccaneers Radio with Gene Deckerhoff um, uh, is 2005. That's the year of Hurricane Katrina, where the Saints were displaced and were playing part of their home games in Baton Rouge at LSU's Tiger Stadium and part of them in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome because that's where Tom Benson, the owner, also had business interest. That's where he was from, had a home there. So they split the season so we played them late in the year to clinch the nfc south in baton rouge and it was one of the most twilight zone bizarre situations for several reasons one of those they were doing construction pre-planned construction around tiger stadium because their college season was over and they were renovating the stadium they were renovating the press box they were renovating the suites the locker room, the visiting locker room was being renovated. So the Bucks actually dressed in part 
with partitions up and under a tent outside of the locker room because they needed more room. I still remember that. There were about 15,000, maybe 20,000 people in the 80 to 90,000 seat Tiger Stadium. But the Buccaneers won that game that day in Baton Rouge, and it basically helped them clinch the NFC South. That also tied in Jason Powers to the story previously about the Falcons and the Christmas Eve game that came like right after that, uh, where the Bucks basically clinched the South that day. Yeah. The Saints game was right before that in Baton Rouge, and I still remember that now almost 20 years later of how weird and bizarre that was. And, and uh, again, I have to defer to Paul. Am I correct? That's the only time the Buccaneers have played at Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge it, against the New Orleans. Yeah, that's correct. It's also a game. Was... One day, Barber had three interceptions in that game. The first Bucks had three picks in the game was in you, that one. I was there. And how do you remember that? And I don't remember that. He had three in the game? Yes, he, he did. First Buck player to do it. Akeem Tlaib has done it as well, but he was the first. Peter. Three picks in a game for Ronde Barber. I love yes, it. Go ahead. Peter, yeah, real quick. Yeah. yeah. Tell me why you think, and, and I think this is a true statement, that the Bucks and the Saints are the most, that's one of their most hated, is most hated rival of the Buccaneers is the New Orleans Saints. Your thoughts on why that's such a contentious rivalry? Obviously, you have the geographic location, but we just seem to have a hatred for the Saints for whatever reason. I mean, I think it starts with Drew Brees and his dominance of the Bucks over the years. I also think it's Sean Payton and his sourpuss face when he decided to go after Dirk Cutter after the game. <laughs> it also stems from the Bucks at the time beating the Saints for, you know, playing for pride. And it was the beginning of greatness with Chris Godwin and Jameis Winston. I believe this is 2017. And you know, I was like one of those fans out there that said, I want the Bucks to lose so they can get a Quentin Nelson. And of course they end up with a Vita Vea. And he never thought they were going to beat the Saints that day, but they did at Raymond James Stadium. And sure enough, Chris Godwin, as great as he was that day, uh, has continued that greatness. I think the hatred is because the Saints have been so dominant. And then on top of it, Jason Powers, TJ Reeves, and Paul Stewart, the years that the Bucs win the Super Bowl, they usually get swept by the Saints. <laughs> Bucs fans don't forget that. I tell you one thing, though. For me, one of the greatest stories is Bucks versus the Saints and the divisional playoff and all the stupid talking heads saying, no way the Bucks have a chance. No way Tom Brady has a chance. Drew Brees and the Saints are going to win that game. They dominated during the regular season. And, you know, that point, it was 17 to 10. And Antoine Winfield makes the play of the game to change. And then Devin White, uh, you know, he basically at that point, is now becoming postseason Devin White, uh, an unstoppable force, a guy that's all over the place, much like Derrick Brooks. And you knew, Paul, you knew, TJ, you knew when they beat the Saints, it was almost like Philadelphia in 2002. They got over that hump. And at that point, there was nobody stopping that Bucks team from winning the Super Bowl, in my opinion. Great points. Now, wait a minute. We got to get one in for Paul Stewart for the no quarter given part of this. Paul wants to tell on himself because he gets an awful lot of stuff right. But what was what was your assessment of Drew Brees coming out of Purdue originally uh, drafted? Right. Was he drafted by the Chargers or did they trade him in the Michael Vick trade? I think it was a trade. No, right, he, was, he was, was drafted in 2001. So, yeah, the story was the following season. I'm doing some I'm doing live games of British TV and we had a San Diego Miami game. And the Chargers were being outplayed by the legend in his own lunchtime that was um, Ray Lucas. And 
I said famously on British TV, I don't think Drew Brees will ever be a successful quarterback in the NFL. I think what? he's overrated. They what? used to play that clip every year. And the great story was that Drew came over to play in London in 08 and someone decided to tell him that story. And I explained why. And he said, yeah, okay, I get that. And he walked away, looked back at me and said, I've done okay since then. No, haven't I, Paul? So yeah. we had a good laugh. But yeah, I, I made that comment on British TV. I live by it. I got a lot of things right. <laughs> I got that one wrong. And, and Paul, yeah, is this correct? A, I think Breeze has had a pretty good career, and now Tom Brady's breaking a lot of his records, but he holds a lot of records, and he's going into the Hall of Fame uh, coming up here. And uh, again, we all we all make these different uh, opinions, and you look at the marriage of of Peyton, Peyton and Breeze as the coach and Breeze, yeah. and the success they've had, and it's almost spoiled <clears throat> the Saints fans because they are going through a rough time right now, and may go through a rough time for a while on replacing Drew Brees in the coming years beyond just 2021. Uh, so, yeah, it's neat to reminisce about, about all of these games and do this on no quarter given, but I had to get that in there for school. Just, just one story about Sean Payton is he played in the British Gridiron League in 1988 for the Leicester Panthers. He'd been a strike quarterback for the Bears the year before. Yes. He played over here in the UK, and I remember interviewing him, and believe me, if you think he was sour and annoying in 2021, he was even worse in 1988. As a player. And remember, if if Nick Saban in Miami don't fail him on the physical, he's a Miami Dolphin, and he never goes to New Orleans. Yeah. With, right. you know, Great point. Because right. of the shoulder injury he had in San Diego, he's never a New Orleans Saint. And 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 really, that was that really. If you really look at the the history of the NFL, that and Tom Brady, the Breeze and Tom Brady, may be the most two impactful free agent signings, and maybe Reggie White ever in the history of the NFL. Those I think three Nick free agents must have watched my interview on British TV. Then Jason, yes, yeah. about yeah, he may have been watching you about Drew Brees. Well, uh, on that one so many memories uh, again I'll just tell a quick 30 second story to be at field level with Fitz Magic in the opening game back in 2018 with yep. him bombing away for over 400 yards against the Saints that's one of the few times I have ever been in the Superdome uh, with the full full volume everybody going berserk and he silenced them over and over again so I, I know that didn't end up being a great season but but Fitz Magic was a great story for the first two or three games of that year, back-to-back -back NFC Offensive Player of the Week, and it began in the Superdome against the Saints. So there's another there's another memory in this rivalry while we talk no quarter given. Yeah, 48 to 40 with Fitzpatrick throwing for what over 300 yards, like 400. He had three games of 400 yards. Correct. That the first player in the history yeah. of the NFL to ever do it twice. Yeah. Do it twice, much less do it three in a row, much less the first three games of a season. Yeah. Not Dan Marino, not Brett Favre, not Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, anybody else you want to list, Joe Montana, Troy Aikman, ever threw for 400 yards in two consecutive games at that time, much less the first three games of a season. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is the answer. And, and the Bucs, the Bucks used their, their record for scoring points was 48 in a game. It's been broken since. Two of those three occasions were against the Saints. How about that? Amazing. All right, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you another fact too, Peter. This is for you, Peter. The two biggest, uh -huh. the two biggest uh, games in Buccaneer history for receivers are against the Saints. Mark Carrier in 1987 with 212 and the late great Vincent Jackson in 2012 
with 216 is the all-time leader, and both of those are against the New Orleans Saints. And 216, uh, he went, what, 98 yards or something? He had a 95-yard reception. He went from, yeah, it's the longest play in Bucks history without a touchdown being scored. I'm pretty sure that record's going to stay. I knew what was coming. Vincent Jackson went 95 yards. He had a little bit of a leg injury was trying to gut it out and, and somebody it may have been malcolm jenkins chased yes. him down at like the one yard line in the or orange uniforms and, it, and if i'm correct that may be the last time we wore the orange that's the correct yeah that may the, be the last time in a throwback and so yes. hopefully that's coming yeah. soon but the last time was against the saints <clears throat> that year when vincent jackson did and that. they didn't score a touchdown on that drive <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the ultimate yeah, hustle play. Yeah, I, I blame the coach whose name we shall not mention on this <laughs> oh, show. We, we know who that was that year when he went out and got Vincent Jackson. Yeah, let's I, just I, say his photo is not on my yes, wall behind me. That yes, coach. Absolutely one of the worst Buccaneer head coaches in history. But you talk uh, about Reggie White. I got told by a writer once that Jerome Brown at the time was considering going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Of course, this is before his death. And the story was that Jerome Brown wanted to bring Reggie White with them, and they were going to be Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, what if that yep. would have happened? Then and remember, started. Jerome Brown grew up in Lakeland, which is about an hour down the street from yep. Tampa. He was a local, a high school kid from here in the state of. I think no, actually, I think it was Frostproof, which is about an hour or so away from from the Tampa Bay area. So that's a that's a great uh, that's a great point there. All right, we're getting short on time here. I yep. want to give I want each of you guys to say. Give me, as through 13 weeks, give me the one position group in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that has really overachieved this year, in your opinion, getting off to the 10th restart. Paul Stewart. Um, do you know something? I'm actually going to say the defensive backs because the amount of injuries they have had and they've had to shut the players in and out. I mean, at one point, you know, you said to me, TJ, do you think Richard Sherman even knows who Pierre Desir is? You know, at the start of the season, neither of those guys were on the roster. So, for what they've had to do for shuffling players in and out, I give it to the DBs, and I give it to the DB coaching staff. That, that guy is the MVP of the Bucs. Peter Blake. coaching the defensive yeah. backs, yes. Peter, Peter Blake. Blake, what about Quickly. you? Uh, the same thing, uh, secondary, with all the injuries you had. I mean, if you thought at the beginning of the year you lose SMB, Carlton Davis, and only have Jamel Dean, Pierre Desir, uh, D. Delaney, whoever you want to put back there, and you would be 10-3, and three, I would tell you that you didn't take your meds last night. <laughs> that has been the position that is overachieved this year, no matter what anybody says. I will just interject. I, I don't know about overachieved, but achieving the offensive line yes, protecting Tom Brady. It is incredible, week in and week out, how little he gets hit, yep. how rarely he gets hit, much less sacked. If that keeps up, yes. get excited, Buccaneer fans. Because if they keep him where he's only being hit once or twice a game, yep. I mean, that offense is going to continue to roll throwing the football. So let's give big kudos to Donovan Smith, Ali Marpet, uh, Ryan Jensen, Alex Kappa, Tristan Wirfs, even Aaron Stinney Aaron filling Stinney, yes. in some and others that have filled in some. Leverett, they've done a great job. Leverett's come Leverett, into yes, play. Josh Wells job. comes in with extra tight end, the jumbo package. All right, 30 seconds each. We got the Saints Sunday night football. NBC, Paul Stewart, you got to stay up really late this week, my, my brother, because it's a late night game. Give me a quick, quick preview of the game Sunday. 30 seconds. Go. 
What happens? Okay, the Bucks are going to win. To me, I enjoy Sunday night games because Chris Collinsworth is on the play-by-plays alongside Mike Tirico this week. Chris Collinsworth's first game on Sunday night against the Bucks in 08, and I was watching game film with him, a one-buck place three days before. We've got a mutual friend in Mick Luckhurst, the former Buck um, Falcons kicker. So I love watching Collinsworth. I don't enjoy the fact it's a 1 a.m. start, but I love it. So go Bucks. We're, go Bucks. We're going to do the Saints. We're going 11-3. Peter Blake, hey, you go. know where my you know where my allegiance lies. I believe the Bucks will get revenge and will win. Peter Blake, yeah, Bucks win this game. They're able to shut down Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara, and Tom Brady does what he always does: throw touchdowns. Bucks win. I'm with you. Bucks motivation for the Bucks is huge. They're going to win big. I'm going to give you a prediction right now. This is the last meeting you're going to see Sean Payton as the Saints coach. I think at Whoa! the end of this year. I think at the end of this year, he's going to make a decision. I don't have a quarterback, and you're going to see Sean Payton as a head coach somewhere else in the league next year. Dallas Cowboys. I I got it. I got it. Chicago Bears. Dallas Cowboys. Fellas, great work. Remember, buckpower.com is the podcast network. Paul's our boss. TJ Reeves, Buccaneer Radio Network, Sirius XM. Peter Blake and I will be doing pregame, halftime postgame at Duckies in Tampa. Check it out. No quarter given podcast. Tell your friends. And let's go to 11-3 in an NFC South Division title, fellas. We'll see you next week on the No Quarter Given Podcast. Go Bucks! Join us again soon for another preview of a scallywag buccaneer foe when we come back with another No Quarter Given podcast. And make sure for the best in historical buck coverage, you go to buckpower.com. And as always, keep listening to the buckpower.com podcast network.